Well, in the next 12 weeks, we are looking at this new series, One Book, One Story, as we trace God's unfolding story. And we'll arrive around Christmas time at the Christmas narrative. So hopefully we'll come to look at the person of Jesus as he arrives on the scene with a great picture of just why it is he's arrived. And our aim to, is that as we do that, we'll see just how the Bible fits together. So rather than a number of books with a number of authors with contrasting and, and difficult themes, that we'll see that it's one storyline with one author, with one ultimate hero. And ultimately, it points to Jesus, the great rescuer. But as we look this afternoon at Genesis 1 and 2, we're introduced to this story. And the best stories introduce you to the characters quickly, don't they? When you pick up a book and you feel it straight away. Arguably, of the last couple of decades, Harry Potter is one of the most famous and most loved all-age stories. Here's the first paragraph of the book. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Grunnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large moustache. Mrs. Dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time craning over garden fences, spying on the neighbours. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy anywhere. Now, I don't know what you make of the books, but straight away, you're enticed, aren't you, by the family, what they're like. You can picture the kind of family that they are. You can just picture how that family operates as they go around their garden in the summer and crane over, look at what the rest of the, the um, street is like. You're intrigued, you're immersed, you know what they're like. You're enticed to see just what might happen to this family that's obsessive about being normal and respectable. Now, whatever your favourite story might be, I imagine that, again, pretty quickly, you're introduced to the characters. You feel like you know them. You want to see what happens next. And here as we join Genesis 1 and 2, the first couple of chapters introduce us to the main characters quickly. That's the purpose of the first part of Genesis. It's to introduce this unfolding story between God and his people. And the beginning of this story sets the scene. It introduces us to the characters and it, it shows us how they ought to relate to each other. So firstly, we see God is the king. We're introduced to our first character. Have a look down. Look down at chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. God was there in the beginning. He is the eternal God, the author of all creation. 
in the beginning, God created. He's the author of all that there is. Everything that we see, feel, experience in this whole world comes after this one moment. And so we're dependent on him for all things. The first verse tells us what he's like. The eternal God is the author of all creation. But the whole of the first chapter shows he's in complete control. Look at verse three. And God said, the very first thing accounted is God's word. God's in control throughout the chapter by means of his word. Just have a look down across the chapter as we see it. Did you, do you notice the repeated phrases? Just have a look down. Some of them are indented quite helpfully for us. And God said, and God said, and God said, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. God called, God called, God called. God uses his word as complete control over all that he creates. See, as we we're introduced to our main character, we see that this is God's place. He's there from the very beginning and he rules and reigns by his word. He's the character that we're introduced to first and everything else that we see is completely dependent on him. We'll see in a minute a bit more about the dynamic between God and his people. But even in the way the first few verses introduce God, we see that living under the rule of God's word is the best way to live. It's powerful. It's good. I wonder, is that how you seek to enjoy God's good creation now? Is that what we really think? Do you actively try to enjoy this creation within the design that God's given us for it? When do you fall into the trap of thinking, actually, maybe I'll enjoy it some other way, outside of the design? God is king. He's in complete control by his word. And the first chapter shows it's exactly how he wanted it. It's exactly how he's planned. We know because it's ordered. Just look at the pattern in the days. Maybe you've seen this before. God uses this kind of model to create. He forms and then he fills. Just have a look down at day one. In day one, he separates the light and darkness to form day and night. In day two, he separates the waters to form sea and sky. In day three, he separates the water and sky to form land. Have a look to day four, what does he do? Day four, he fills the day and the night with sun, moon and stars. Day five, have a look. He fills the seas and skies with animals. What does he do on day six? He fills the land with every kind of animal. He forms and then he fills. Just have a look at the picture. It helps us 
um, to see how those two things correlate. He forms on the first three days, and on the second three days, he fills those things that he's formed. The point is, it's exactly how he wants it. It's ordered. It's as he's designed. And do you notice what it says? It's good. 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 Very good. It's planned all along. See, while Christians can have differing views on the method and the timings of creation, a Christian can't believe in accidentalism. Because what God does as he brings the universe to be isn't an accident. He forms and he fills creation in an orderly way. Look at what's repeated. And it was so. Did you notice that at the end of each day? And it was so. And it was so. And it was so. God saw that it was good. It was good. It's exactly how he wanted it. Because God is a king that cares about his creation. This is God's place and he rules and reigns by his word. From the very beginning, the very first moment, he's been in complete control. He's the author of all that there is. And if we fail to recognize that, that God is in control, we miss something really important about the way in which God wants to relate to his people. That's how this world should be. Later on in the Bible, in Revelation, it says this, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Living in any other way is not just missing the point, but it's rejecting God of his right place. Genesis 1 begins the book about a God who wants to relate to his world. And we won't relate to him rightly unless we see what he's like as he reveals himself in creation. He's the king. He's the eternal author of all creation. He's in complete control by his word. And the world, as created in Genesis 1 and 2, is just as he planned. So we see God is the king, and then we see God's people are the pinnacle. Have a look down at chapter 1, verse 31. Do you notice the pattern? God describes the days of creation. Just have a look down through chapter 1. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then in verse 31, God describes that day of creation as very good. Because mankind is the pinnacle of his creation. We see that God's creative work is finished when the final piece of the jigsaw is slotted in. The humans. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. The heavens and earth were completed. And we know that humans are the centerpiece, the pinnacle, because what happens next through chapter two, we zoom in on them. 
verse 4 to 25 of chapter 2 isn't chronological from chapter 1. It's emphatic. We, we need to see what's going on in the, the people's relationship with God. But ultimately, why? Why is it that people are the pinnacle? Because there's something different about them. They're set apart. They're given a different role. Look at verse 28. Fill the earth and subdue it. They're given a different role because they're created differently. Look at verse 27. They're created in the image of God to image him. Now, the image of God is a a huge theme that we could track through the whole Bible. But let's just look at what we see here. Humans reflect God as rational beings that make moral choices. Just look to chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. They're not robots. We are not robots. We reflect God in our rationality. We've been given the choice to choose. We're not like the rest of creation. We're given a place above the animals. We're given minds able to choose precisely to give God's glory as our creator. Now, humans also differ in the responsibility they're given under God to be stewards of the earth. God said in verse 28 of chapter 1 to subdue it. Mankind is made to be creative, to use the talents we've been given to image God. You know the feeling of stepping back and enjoying something you've done? Just looking at something that you can call yours, that you've put your creative work into, whether it be a structural design, some problem-solving activity, a spreadsheet, an engine, a timetable, even a run. When you step back and you say, that was brilliant, using that creative ingenious. That's a snapshot of what God felt as he created the earth. And we're given that so that we might reflect God in his creativity. And we might lift our eyes to see just what God is like. That's why it's still humble to be able to step back after something even you've done and say, that was brilliant. Humility isn't playing down good. It's not claiming the glory for it. I wonder, do you recognize and give thanks for those gifts that you've been given? and actively use them to image God, being created in the image of God, to use what you are to give him glory and image him. Another part of being made in God's image is that mankind is made to relate to God. Social beings that love each other just like the Trinity. We're created with the desire to relate. We see even in the midst of Genesis 1 that God is in relationship. Let us make man in our image. We see in chapter 1, the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And we saw in John's gospel, 
our last series, how Jesus was there at the very beginning. God is in relationship and he's created us to reflect him and be in relationship too. These are some of the ways that we differ to the rest of creation. But the reason that we're the pinnacle, the reason that God's given us this role, this difference, is to bring him glory above all else. That's our chief end. That's what we're called to do. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we can do that because we're created with the ability to image him and bring him glory. The reason we can do that is because we're in his image. We're just a little bit like him. If you follow football at all at the moment, you'll know that in the last couple of seasons in English football, something quite unusual has happened. There's two teams that seem to have pulled away from the rest of um, the league. And the most talked about figure in both of those clubs is the manager. It's significant because as pundits analyze the football, as pundits talk about these two teams, what's talked about for quite unusual is the managers and how the teams reflect the manager. They're, they're trained by the manager and they bear his image. They reflect something of the coach and his genius. But what we see in Genesis is that God has completely designed us. He's given us all that we are. He's not just taken us through a few coaching pieces. He's not just working with us day in, day out. He's designed us in all that we are that we might reflect him. We might bring him glory in a way that no other part of creation can. Genesis 1 and 2 shows us just how special humans are. The pinnacle, made to be creative and, and made to be in relationship with God. But ultimately, to bring God glory with the image that he's given. God's people are the pinnacle. And we see that God's place is perfect. I don't want to spoil the suspense of the story, but we'll see next week that pretty quickly, God's place isn't perfect for long. But we see that it was created perfect, but the perfectly created blueprint here is given by God. The fundamental reason that we see in, in chapter one and two that God's place is perfect is because the relationship between God and his people is right. And it's not just a physical place, but the state of the place. Look at chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It's a place of security and provision, as God gives what they need. They're given boundaries. They're told what to do and what not to do. And in chapter 2, God's rule and his reign are the very best thing for his people. It's a place where they're free to enjoy him to the best of their ability. And we see there that God's place is perfect as God's people 
commit to his word. They trust God in what he says. We're created to be in that close relationship with God, to be dependent on him and his word, to listen to him. See, it's so intimate there in Genesis 1 and 2. He speaks to them. He's present in the garden. He blesses them. He takes them. The words there that describe the relationship between God and his people are so personal. It's perfect because God and his people have a right relationship. And God's people listen to his word. I wonder, do we show our dependence on God? Do we show our commitment to his rule by trusting his word? We see that man's under God's rule. Have a look at 2 verses 15 and 17. God's powerful word is clear instruction to not eat the, the fruit of the tree. It's given there as the most glorious discipline. The consequences would be horrendous. We see that as God's place is perfect, a right relationship with God shapes everything in God's place. The relationship between man and woman is good. Verse 20, no suitable help was found. That means woman is the very best thing for man and their relationship is great. Sometimes we read that verse, verse 20, and we think our helper is quite a derogatory term. But helper throughout the whole of the Old Testament is actually a, a word that's only used the Hebrew word to describe how God helps his people. The, the Hebrew word Ezer is only used to describe God in how he helps his people. I wonder if you know um, the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Have you ever wondered, here I raise my Ebenezer, where that comes from, where Samuel sets up a stone of help? That's what it's talking about. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. The Hebrew word eben means stone and ezer means help. So Ebenezer literally means stone of help. So what Samuel's done is put up a stone to say God has helped me this far. See, ezer, the word helper, is a brilliant word. Man and woman are created in equal value, both made in the image of God. We see that in verse 27 of chapter 1. Both made in the image of God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Both made to image God, but they're given different roles in the order of creation, and it was perfect. Look at verse 25. There was no shame between Adam and Eve. See, the God-given created difference between man and woman are designed to be the very best thing for both. We'll see next week and very quickly that that relationship is broken. But as we close and we look at all that's come in Genesis 1 and 2, the introduction to 
one book, one story, the unfolding plan for God to rescue his people. We're introduced to an eternal God who's the author of all things. A God who makes everything. And a God who makes mankind by the power of his word is the pinnacle of all that he's made to image him and bring him glory. As we read that, doesn't it make your heart sing? As you see just the role that humankind is given in God's good creation to image him. We see the pattern of God's perfect place in perfect relationships between people and God and how that shapes the perfect relationship between man and woman and mankind and the earth. That's how God has made us and how we're made to relate to him. But we'll see next week that that doesn't last for long. Soon enough, our creation is broken. We're led to look for a rescuer. And ultimately, we'll see through our series how God, in relationship with his people, wants the very best thing for them, just as we've seen in Genesis 1 and 2. And ultimately, the very best thing for them is as they've rejected him to bring forward a great rescuer, his son, who is here at the beginning of all things to rescue them. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us by it. Father, we pray that you'd help us to recognize what you show us about yourself. Pray that you'd help us recognize what you show us about us and our relationship with you. Lord, we pray that as we go this, through this series, you'd help us to see more clearly how your son Jesus is brought forward as a rescuer, a much needed rescuer to bring us to yourself. Amen.